Our worship team has blessed us so much uh, this morning, and they've been working hard along with the media team, Josh and Rocky, and um, I just want to say to all of them, that you're true worshipers, and you bless us as a community. And so we were able to take them to the church and, and do those songs yesterday so we could show them this morning. But I, I feel his presence as they have led us into the presence of God. And uh, I'm so grateful for each of those worship leaders that we have. Lutheran pastor and theologian Yaroslav Pelikan said, if the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, then nothing else really matters. If the resurrection of Jesus did not actually happen, then nothing else really matters. Nothing else really matters, especially for those of us in Christ Jesus, that he, that he died on a cross, but he rose again. In the middle of this very strange and life-altering worldwide crisis, I've been on a mission here within our church family to help us more fully explore the resurrection of Jesus Christ during this season between Easter and Pentecost Sunday, which is traditionally called Eastertide. And I've wanted us to look at the resurrection of Jesus and how he met his disciples and all the implications of that, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And nothing else really matters. We've been looking at how Jesus met his disciples. He appeared to 500 of them before he ascended to the Father. And we've been specifically looking last Sunday and today at the story of Peter. Peter coming to to a realization that he needed help and that Jesus came to meet him and give that help. So if you have your Bible or your device, or you can look on the screen, we're looking at John Chapter 21 and verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And then Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is probably the most magnificent scene to me in the Bible and all the history probably of literature. This is the greatest story that has had the greatest impact on my life. As the smell of a charcoal fire lingered, Peter is still nursing his shame from denying Jesus on the night of his arrest. And I would imagine the aftermath of that betrayal has seared his conscience. But despite all of that, Jesus comes to Peter. Jesus always comes to us. 
And while Jesus is caring in his exchange with Peter, he is also very intentional, almost surgical, confronting the root of Peter's failure. It's not that Jesus is rubbing his nose in it. It's that he's restoring his heart from it. Jesus asked Peter three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Asking Peter the same thing three times must must be important, right? I mean, seems like it. Numerologists would tell you that the number three is for completeness. But I think Jesus asked this question three times for a much more personal and obvious reason. Because deep down, we all get it, don't we? That Jesus asked him, do you love me, three times because Peter denied Jesus three times. They correspond. There's also a lot of discussion around this exchange about the words that Jesus and Peter use. They're two different Greek words, both translated for us as love. When Peter replies to Jesus, he used the word phileo, the Greek word which means brotherly love or or loving like a friend. It's very intimate. It's a great word, but it's not the same word that Jesus had used in the first two questions he asked Peter. He used the word agape, which we know that's God love. That's unselfish, unfettered, unconditional love. And then on the third time, Jesus used the same word Peter had been using all along. Now, what's going on here? Well, I think there are a lot of sermons that have been crafted around the significance of these differing terms. And I'm going to admit to you right now, I've been one of those that have made those kinds of sermons. But the more I'm impacted and changed and and reformed and shaped by this story, the less I'm sure that the two terms for love is of huge importance. After all, in verse 17, John says that Jesus said to him a third time, which indicates the same question is being asked three times over. I don't know that it's about numerology or the distinction between phileo and agape. I think the most critical thing is that the question is asked by Jesus and that it's answered by Peter. Do you love me? Listen to the Lord asking you that. Do you love me? And each time Jesus asked Peter this question, you can almost sense the scalpel going in just a little deeper. Like Jesus is surgically removing his pride and his ambition and his independence He's removing Peter's need to be accepted, to be approved by others, uh, to prove himself, to be the head of his class, to be seen as the one who would never deny the Lord. I, I personally know what it's like to have this kind of conversation with the Lord, where you've messed up so badly and done exactly what you said you'd never do where your brash claims have given way to colossal failure. And it's no longer boastful vows that you're spewing. Now it's remorse. It's regret. It's shame. It's guilt. If we're honest, everyone has found him or herself where Peter is. Broken and contrite, ruined, largely by our own efforts, incapable of doing any better. 
But just as I've experienced that hard conversation where the scalpel goes in deep, I've also experienced the divine renovation of a wounded heart and the restoring work of the Holy Spirit. And it is so wonderful. Where Jesus reveals his love for you while helping you therapeutically say out loud, you know everything, Lord. You know I love you. I know I said it before. I said I love you, but I really didn't know what that meant. But now you're requiring I declare it again. And I think you're doing that to help me realize it's because you first loved me that I can ever love you back. Each time Jesus asks this question, do you love me? Something breaks, but something is reborn all at the same time. My daughter Katie says of things like this, It's worse than you can imagine, and it's better than you think. I think maybe the most amazing thing about this whole dialogue of healing is that in the middle of this deep work, Jesus gives Peter a new purpose. He doesn't just leave him laid bare with his wound open for further injury and infection. Coming out of these surgical questions that go to the heart are answers of realignment, where Jesus gives Peter um, a job to do, where Peter professes his love and Jesus, Jesus offers so much more than just an anemic, well, just try to do better next time, okay, Peter? No, that's not what Jesus says. He heals him for usefulness, not just to be set on the shelf somewhere because he ruined it once before. Jesus invites Peter once again into kingdom work. Peter, you love me? Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. When Peter ruined things, it didn't ruin it for Jesus. He's in the business of taking old ruins and building something beautiful. But I think I'm particularly struck by the order in which these two things come. It's Peter loving Jesus and knowing that that makes way for the job. It's not Peter doing a job that makes way for love. We can't afford to get these two out of order. It's always the order that's required. Love first before the job. You don't perform to produce love. Not in the kingdom. It's always about love in the beginning. It always has to start with love, his love for us, which grows our love for him, which then leads to any job he might have for us to do. And the moment that job becomes more central than his love for us and our love for him, then we've moved into dangerous territory. Now, I've thought a lot about this, especially this past week. As another nationally known pastor, one that I greatly admired, died from what was reported as a self-inflicted gunshot wound. It's tragic for his family. He leaves behind a wife and four amazing kids. And that instance of this last week, that is joined with two other widely known pastors that I really appreciated, none of whom I knew personally, but I knew them through their gospel work and their, their books and their teaching. I knew they loved God and they served him. 
and his church and other leaders. I don't want to oversimplify the complexity of anyone's inner turmoil, but I do think the truths here in Peter's story can help, really help, anyone who's carrying guilt, shame, anxiety, anything that is keeping us from the place of his love. A lot of leaders, people, have gotten these two components of Peter's restoration. They've gotten them out of order. Love for Jesus and doing things for him. And when you get them out of order, you're going to mess up. And it may mess you up. I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in others. And it is deadly. I want to give you what I believe the Lord shared with me some insights this week, some warning signs for all of us, especially leaders, but really anyone. Number one, when your relationship with Jesus is no longer your top priority, you're in trouble. When you've reduced following him to doing things for him, that is danger zone. It's like becoming Martha, who was constantly working for Jesus, instead of Mary, who was constantly wanting to be with Jesus. It's not that we don't work once the Lord has established us in his presence and love, but if we don't have the establishment of that love and his relationship as our top priority, we're going to mess up. Secondly, when you don't allow Jesus to address your wounds then there's danger zone. Those wounds are like tender places that need to be healed or broken places that need to be repented of. When you're not willing for Jesus and those who are around you to touch those places, then they're going to grow toxic and more deadly and they could be your downfall. This is why God puts us in community, why he gives us pastors, why he gives us Christians to walk with us so that we can be helped through those wounds and healed of them. Thirdly, if you grow entitled, you're in a danger zone. You going from being the servant leader he called you to be to being a leader who wants to be served, that's danger. And, and no one may really see this coming. It just creeps up on us. But it starts showing up in your thoughts and in your words and in your behavior. And then it becomes apparent and harmful to others, especially those who are closest to you. So don't let that happen to you. Don't grow entitled. Listen. Listen to people who love you and who walk with you. Be accountable. Ask your pastor. Ask your spouse. Ask your, your home group leader, ask a co-laborer in Christ to call you out when you act entitled. Fourthly, when you stop seeing others as Jesus sees them, which is bearers of God's image, and you're also called to love and serve those, when you stop seeing them this way and you start viewing them as a resource for you to use for your life or for your ministry, God's not called you to lord over anyone or to use people for your benefit. Fifthly, when you are no longer present in the moments with the people and the situations God has you, but you become an absentee leader 
or an absentee father or mother or spouse or friend where you isolate and you pull back probably because you feel entitled and rather than staying in the game, sharing the burden given by the Lord and working towards the spirit of unity, you pull back and think somehow self-medicating or self-preservation is the answer. It's not. Stop going fishing. Stop withdrawing. And rather ask the Lord to heal you and keep your head in the game. The last thing I saw was when you start deceiving others about your true condition. This is a danger zone. You start lying to cover over your true self. You blow off obligations under the guise of self-care. It's dangerous. When you dodge questions about your true spiritual and emotional state, you're in trouble. And sometimes even you use emotions to manipulate others just to keep them distant and, and not have to be accountable. So these are six things that I felt the Lord put on my heart and I have experienced them personally. It's not a comprehensive list, but certainly a few characteristics that might be evident when things get out of order, where you put performance for God above love for God. The good news is that Jesus restores, he heals, he comes to meet us and bring us peace. It's like what the psalmist could say in Psalm 30, verse 11. You have turned from me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Well, let's finish Peter's story. All that's taking place up to this point would be enough to completely wreck a person. I mean, it's brutal in one sense and yet so healthy in another. My gut wrenches every time I talk about it and I, I get emotional. But Jesus doesn't stop there. It's like he adds candles to the cake he's already iced. He's not only doing the deep work of healing Peter's wounds of denial and not only giving him a purpose, but now he's going to tell Peter how Peter is going to glorify God. Look what happened in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were, when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this is a key verse, 19. This he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Man, Jesus, <laughs> you're not going to leave anything unsaid, are you? I mean, you're going to go for the full story here. Go for Peter's whole life, his whole heart, his whole future. Jesus tells Peter right up front, your journey is going to take some turns more than you're expecting, and it's going to require even more adjustment than even you're getting right now. You used to go where you wanted to go, wear what you wanted, be who you wanted to be, but that's going to change. And when it does, you'll know that it's this, it's in this kind of death, glorifying God. Listen, here's what we have to always remember 
as living as his disciples. Because we are his, our lives are not our own. Our lives are not meant to bring us glory. They are meant to glorify the one, the only one, worthy of glory. And so Peter's life was going to bring glory to God. And Peter would die a martyr's death. And that too would bring glory to God. And after saying this, healing his wound and giving him purpose, showing him how he would indeed glorify God, that God would use him, and even in his death, he would glorify the Father. Jesus said to him once again, the two most powerful words, follow me. (laughs) With those two words, follow me, Jesus has brought it full circle in Peter's story from the Gospels. He's come all the way back to that very beginning moment when he saw Peter out there in his boat and he said to Peter, Peter, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. I love the fact that when Jesus called him the first time, he knew Peter would fail. That doesn't ever keep him from calling him the second time after he's been restored. It's the same way for you and for me. God's call, his gifts and callings are without repentance. It doesn't mean that you might not have to go through restoration and discipline and correction and new ways of living to keep on the path that he has for you. But it does mean that his word is eternal. And if he's called you, he will make it come to pass. Having come to meet Peter, Jesus has surgically dealt with his betrayal. He's given him a job to do. He's revealed to him how he is going to glorify God, even in his death. And he finishes with the same two words that are spoken to every single person who has been changed by Jesus' love, who has received his forgiveness, and who follows in his footsteps. Jesus says, follow me. I'm going to ask my wife to come back and join us as per our tradition on these virtual times and have her share what the Lord is speaking to her and then we'll pray for you as we close today. As you were talking about Jesus taking the scalpel to Peter's heart, I thought of the verse um, of a song that says, there is a balm, a healing balm in Mm -hmm. Gilead that makes the wounded whole. There's power enough in heaven to heal the sin-sick soul. And it's so good of our Father to care enough to cut out things that are infected and that are doing us harm. Mm. And in the same breath to restore, He cuts and He applies healing balm. Yes. He says no, and then he says yes. yes. He, he is so careful with us, even when we are not paying attention to him. Mm. And the tenderness of that is so compelling. That if you have anything in your life today that you've been holding like a splintered hand, that you don't want to let him take the splinter out, this is a Holy Spirit moment for you to say, Operate on me. Mm -hmm. 
Because the same moment that the pain is there, the healing is there. Mm -hmm. There is power enough in heaven to heal even the sickest soul. Yes. So I'm going to pray for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are kind and merciful and that your purposes are not thwarted when we make mistakes, when we willfully sin, when we let our self-interest or fears overwhelm us and we fall away from what you've called us to do. Even the things that nobody sees, Father, except you in our hearts. You're a good shepherd. And you don't point these things out or bring them to the surface to shame us or to disappoint us or to devastate us. But you've come that we might have life mm -hmm. and life to the full. Mm -hmm. And so what you're offering today, Father, is a fullness of life. Mm -hmm. You're offering to be an ointment on all of our wounds, even the ones that you have caused to bring us into a better way, a life-giving way, yes. a way where we can follow you and keep on following you, no matter how, how roundabout our path may seem sometimes. You're there in all of it. Mm. And you're saying again and again, follow me. Mm. Let my love be birthed in you as as purpose, as calling, as destiny, yes. and as the power that you need to follow me. I've given it at the beginning. I continually give it. I give it when you feel empty. I give it when you failed. My love for you is unchanging mm -hmm. so that your love for me can grow and take over all of your life and cause you to be on mission all the time, whether you're getting it right or getting it wrong, my purposes stand mm -hmm. in the love of God. Yes. Thank you for this miracle, Lord, mm -hmm. the miracle of the power of your love at work in our lives to make, to form, to renew. We receive it, Father. Lord, we pray for anyone that is listening that is wounded and withdrawn, isolated from you. I pray that you would come and meet them now, that your Holy Spirit would use this moment in eternity to bring healing and redirection and renewal and rebirth and restoration. Yes. Father, we wanna be living in the moment, but we know that if we're hurting, if we're wounded, we won't be of any use. But when we find our love for you that comes out of your love for us, it realigns us to be purposeful, to be useful, and to be able to bring you glory. Thank you, Father, for our church family and all those who are watching today. Encourage, bless, heal, and bring life to them where they are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you. The yes, Lord bless you this day.